Um, I don't know about you, but I, I love Christmas, and not kind of like in a Buddy the Elf way, um, even though I do love it that way, but um, I, I got to kind of explain this a little bit. Man, Christmas has just always been super special for me, and um, there's a lot of great memories. My mom made it special. Um, no matter what was going on, my mom and dad just made it special, especially my mom. And, you know, my brother... Um, was somebody who uh, was in and out of jail his whole life and uh, always was in trouble. And maybe you have relatives similar to that, but um, whenever holidays came around, that seemed to be a time that my brother would seem to get in the most trouble. And so I can remember Christmases um, where my parents would choose to use Christmas money. My dad worked for the postal workers, you know, the, uh, for the postal service, and he'd work overtime build up a little Christmas fund, they even put money away, be able to buy Christmas presents, but I can remember times where my family chose to bail my brother out of jail, or where they would pay for this or pay for this, these, do these certain things, and, and here we were without money for Christmas, and we weren't going to have a, a, you know, presents like we would and all of that, and my mom, I remember how I'd break her heart because she would want to make Christmas so special for our family. And my mom was a highly creative person, so, man, my mom, she could take a, 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 a box. She could take a, a refrigerator box and make you the most awesome pirate ship that you have ever experienced. Kids would die for it today for Christmas. And I just remember my mom being so resourceful. And you know what really kind of touched me the most out of all of that at Christmas was just the fact that she made it special. And my dad would do whatever it took. I'll never forget being at dinner, and the post office would call at Christmas time. Hey, you want to come in two hours early? You want to come in three hours early? You want to come in four hours early? And for, in order to make Christmas a special time for our family, not in a materialistic way. We weren't rich, man. They spent all their money trying to send me to Catholic school to keep me out of trouble, and you see how well that worked. But, man, it was like they sacrificed. They did stuff. Because uh, that they really probably didn't want to do, but they did want to do just to be able, because what their ultimate goal was, was to make us happy, to show us how special we were. And Christmas was an opportunity to do that, man. And so Christmas, I was just brought up with Christmas being special and, and special as a time to show people how important they were. And of course, we had religion. We went to church and stuff. But then, as I got older, uh, Christmas of 1987, man, um, I remember in June of, of 1987, um, searching for God and, and looking for God for the first time in my life, more than a religion, looking for so, an empty spot that I had and didn't know that God was the only thing that would fill it. And I even told my dad, Dad, let's start going back to church. Let's go back to church because my dad wasn't going to church and my mom had passed away as a senior in high school. Now I'm 25 years old. And getting my dad to go back to church with me. And we went back to the Catholic church that I was raised in, where I went to. And I remember seeing a bull on the back of one of the bulletins. You know, uh, some churches have bulletins, you know. And, uh, and on the back of it, there was a thing for a Catholic study Bible. And now I know it was the Holy Spirit who gave me the desire uh, to want that. But I remember telling my dad, I was looking for something to fill my heart. And I remember saying, Dad, Dad, I want this Bible for Christmas. If I don't get anything else for Christmas, I want this Bible. And I'll never forget my dad looking at me and saying, hey, what, are you going to be a priest or something? And I'm like, no, Dad, I like girls. And it was like, so that, won't, that religion wasn't going to work out. <clears throat> but later I found out that between the 11-year period of my older sister being born and me being born, my mom had numerous miscarriages and situations, and she promised God from the story of Hannah and Samuel that if God gave her another son, she'd make him a priest. And that was me. I didn't know that until the day I was ordained in the Baptist church, and my older Catholic sisters came to me and they said, you have blown it. You have totally messed everything up. Mom promised God you would be a priest, and now look at you. And I could not find any greater joy in knowing I think my mom would be okay with what's going on. But that Christmas, I just the Holy Spirit of God prompted me to ask for the first Bible that I'd ever had in my life. Because up to that point, people were telling me what I was supposed to believe and what I was not. And I remember getting that Bible for the first time, Christmas in 1987, and opening it up and saying, man, where has this been my whole life? And reading it and not being able to put it down. And so it was Christmas of 87 that God gave me the desire and ability 
to put everything I knew about myself and into everything I knew about him. And that's when I got saved. It was Christmas in 1987. Christmas just keeps being special. The whole time I've been married and the whole time I've had kids, man, Christmas is a time to just show them and show our family how special they are. It's a, we can love them all the time, and we do, but, man, I just want to create. It's an op, awesome opportunity to show people how much you love them and how special. Not by the size of the gift. It's not about the money. It's more often than the money. It's about the time investment. It's about the priority investment. It's an opportunity to really let people know that because that's really what God did at Christmas. It wasn't about the money. It was about the materialism. It was about giving yourself. And maybe if you do it at Christmas, we do it more often and the other times too. But that's why Christmas is so special to me. And so as I become a believer, you know, became a believer and as I've grown in love with Jesus and I understood the true meaning of Christmas, um, and I've seen what the world has done with Christmas. I've seen, you know, how the world just taken it over the top. I mean, dude, think about this. There was Christmas stuff out this year in Walmart before Halloween. Did you guys yeah. notice that? Before Halloween, it used to be before Thanksgiving and now Black Friday. And Black Friday is like so old, it doesn't even work anymore. It's like it's Cyber Monday is now Black, Cyber Thursday. And I mean, it just, the world, you can do all that and you get so lost that you can say, forget it, I'm throwing Christmas out. I don't want anything to do with any of that. But you're going to miss what it's about. I'm telling you what, man, you can make this special or you can make it not special. Whatever you choose in it. But it's an opportunity to let the world know how much you love them and how much you care. Not necessarily, again, by how much you spend, but by how much you spend of yourself in all of this. And I'm going to tell you, there's a time as a pastor of 20-something years, there, there is never a time where there are more hurting people. More people that need love in ways they've never received. People who are missing people. People, man, it, things get crazy around here. Just like my brother. Why did he always pick Christmas and Easter to get thrown into jail, among other times, but always at Christmas? Why? Man, there's times where, man, it just, there's stuff, it stirs stuff up. There's people that need you to help them see life from God's perspective. And so I don't want to advocate throwing out Christmas. Dude, we put our tree up yesterday, and they were gone at some little ballet and all. I turned the lights out, and I just sat there and hung out and watched the tree, man. Thinking back of memories that I want to make for my family, and I want my family to make for their family. Just thinking back, Christmas ornaments. Hey, who, what's on the very front of our Christmas tree? Emily, what's on the front? Yeah, there's a little juice can that's got her psycho picture. And yeah, when she was little, like, and it's got, yeah, and, and that's on the front of the tree. And then right next to it, who's the bald-headed baby in the little picture, Ashley? That's you. There's her. And then we put Matthew's psycho picture. And then there's a picture of a man and a woman. And the guy's skinny and has dark hair. And that's me. And my wife still looks the same, all right? But, man, the memories of all this. So I don't want you to throw Christmas out. I want you to enjoy the man-made part of Christmas. But enjoy it in the right way. But as much as we enjoy the man-made part of Christmas, man, I'm going to the Christmas parade. Anybody want to go to Christmas parade today? The Fort Pierce Christmas parade this afternoon. It's going to be awesome, dude. And uh, we're going to do that. They're going to light the Christmas tree, and all of that's going to be. If you didn't get enough last night in Stewart or wherever it was down here, you can go to Fort Pierce this afternoon. Man, go check out all this stuff, but don't ever lose sight of the supernatural aspect of Christmas. Enjoy the man-made part. You don't have to throw it out. There's nothing sinful about it unless you make it sinful. Unless you make it that way. Man, there's so much good to be made of it. But don't ever lose sight of the supernatural part. And that's what we're going to look at. Man, as I was studying. Now, for some of you, this might not sound all that exciting. But last Monday, I was studying for Monday night's life group. And Monday night is farther ahead than each life group. We start in the book of Genesis and we move forward a chapter each week. Monday night's life group, which is in Fort Pierce at the Vision Beauty Salon, 6.30, quarter 7. If you want to show up there tomorrow, we'll be there. Uh, we are in Leviticus, right in the middle of Leviticus, and we are having revival in Leviticus. Dude, we're pulling it apart one chapter at a time, and the stuff that God is showing us is phenomenal in Leviticus. Isn't it, man? Isn't it good? Man, I'm telling you, Genesis, you run through it. Exodus, you run through it. And whenever you're reading the Bible, you hit that puddle of molasses called Leviticus, and you're like... 
But we are having revival in it. And I started studying Leviticus last Monday for that. And God said, no, no, no. I want you to study Christmas. I was like, huh. And I didn't even know where to start. And God began speaking to me. And he said, here's what I want you to do. In each life group this week and next week and the following week, I want you to, I want you to do the Christmas story. I want you guys to help pick it apart, and then I want you to preach on it on Sunday. So to those of you who have been in life group, you're going to hear a lot of your ideas, a lot of your insight coming out. But what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at Luke 1 and where it all kind of begins. Next week, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, and then after that, we'll look at Luke chapter 2. So if you want to get in depth and have some discussion about it, come to one of the life groups each night. And, um, and, and you can be part of that. But Luke 1, 1 through 38, we're going to bust through the first 26 verses, I promise. Um, I'm, I'm going to try. <laughs> and uh, I'm kind of like Chatty Cathy. It's Chatty Eddie. But uh, <laughs> yeah, why are you guys laughing? Because <laughs> you were in life group, right? <laughs> and so we're going to bust through. But I, 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 as much as we need to enjoy the man-made part of Christmas, man, we can't lose sight of the supernatural part of Christmas. Do you understand in God's Christmas story there is nothing man-made? Absolutely nothing man-made in God's Christmas story. And that's what I want you to see. So let's start out in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And this is the first little prologue that Luke writes. Now, it just so happens we are normally in the book of Acts on Sunday morning. That's Luke 2. That was written by Luke. And that's kind of Luke 2. Luke 1 is the gospel of Luke. So if you studied Luke the Gospel of Luke, all the way to the end of the book of Acts, you would get Luke's rendition of the very beginning of Christ, the incarnation, all the way through the first century church. And Luke was a doctor, and he says, I'm getting ready to put this in an orderly fashion. Look, if you will. Luke says, in as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things, he's saying there's a lot of people that have tried to put this in order uh, of, of, the, of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that delivered them to us. So all these things we've seen about Jesus, all these things we know about God, there's a lot of people who have tried to put them in order. But me, Luke, as a doctor, now that doesn't just mean a physical doctor, a philosophical doctor, as a, a doctor was just the most educated person of that day. He said, I would assume that God has given me these talents, these gifts, and these skills for no other reason than to bring God glory. So I'm going to use what I have to put it in an orderly fashion so people can understand who Jesus is, is in all of this. Next verse. He said, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first to write these to you. An orderly account, most excellent Theophilus or Theophilus, however you're, whatever region of you know, Greek you speak or whatever. But listen, what Theophilus means or Theophilus is Theo means God and Philus means love. And so it could be, we don't know if Theophilus was a guy that he was discipling. We don't really know if it was maybe a slave. There's indications. But guess what? It means lover of God. How many of anybody in here a lover of God? Yeah. All right, then it's to you. <laughs> That's what he's saying, man. I wrote this to you, lovers of God. <clears throat> and he goes on in verse 4 that here's why I wrote this to you, lovers of God. All right. Hey, man, it, wouldn't that be cool? Like, uh, start calling each other. Hey, lover of God. <laughs> no. All right. Aaron, you don't want me to call you that. Man. Hey, lover of God. All right. Never mind. Just maybe to your spouse. How about that one? All right. So anyways, he goes on and says that there's a reason so that you will know the certainty of those things in which you're instructed. In other words, what he's saying is, man, whatever you're instructed from the gospel, whatever you're instructed by the apostles, whatever's here, I want you to be able to believe in it wholeheartedly with everything. I want you to know it's the truth and there's no lie about it. So I'm putting it in an orderly fashion for you. All right, so now we get into the, he starts with the Christmas story, but it doesn't start with Mary and Joseph. It starts with a couple who's about 88 years old, 88 to uh, 90 years old. We know the lady, Elizabeth is, and, and Zachariah might be even a little bit older, but keep that in mind. It says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So here's the players, man. We've got Zechariah, and we've got Elizabeth. They're both from a priestly line, and Zechariah is a priest, all right? And it says, uh, next verse, please. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments of the ordinance of the Lord, blameless. So that's their epitaph. That's what's written about them. 
we know that he's a, they're both priests, we, uh, or he's a priest, and, and she's of the priestly line. We know that for years, 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 80, 90 years, they've been walking with the Lord. <coughs> they've been doing, uh, walking the way God wants them to walk. And they weren't perfect, but they were blameless, meaning, dude, they were as righteous as righteous could be. Verse 7, it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in their years. Again, I told you, uh, there are some people that actually think that John the Baptist, which is this is their parents, is actually more important than Jesus. And they really have gotten it. They, they actually think of Elizabeth as higher up than Mary. And they say she's probably 88 or so. But everybody thinks she's at least in her 80s or 90s. So we'll go with that. But she had no child. What's the problem with that? Well, how was that looked at in that day? Anybody help me out? Come on, we talking here. Susie, why was that a problem? Yeah, they were looked down on, and, and, and in that day, I, I'm glad we don't think this way, but back then, and even in the book of Job, which is the earliest book, people thought that if you had problems, it was because you had sin in your life. Man, you got problems? It must be because you're a sinner. Bree, you got some problems? It's because you're a sinner! No, you know what I'm saying? No, but, that's, but seriously, that's the way everybody looked at stuff back then. And even in the book of Job, that's the way it was. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of y'all read the book of Job? Was Job a sinner? Well, he was, but is that why he had his problems, Laura? No. No. And that's why the book was written to say that suffering's not always because of sin. Now, when you sin, there is suffering. There are consequences of sin. But sometimes suffering is there to bring you closer to your Savior. Suffering is there to make you more like your Savior. Suffering's got a lot of purposes. But they, in their theology, and even especially... When Jesus came around, the Pharisees had had the idea that, dude, there's something wrong. You're blind, you sin. Was it your mama sinned, your dad that sinned? And one time Jesus said it was nobody sinned. It was so we could get glory from giving him his eyesight. So they had this concept that if there's trouble in their life, it's because of sin. Hey, now aren't you glad we don't think that way? Aren't you glad that, aren't you glad that in our theology it's not performance-based and every time something goes wrong, you... You know, think you're a sinner. I mean, you think it's because, oh, what did I do? What did I do? Now, that's all. That's a good thing to look. Give God the chance. But you know what? Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. And 8, 29 tells us what that purpose is. What is that purpose? It's to make us look more like, like Christ. So you know what? I go with that, man. If God wants to correct me along the way and spank me and give me the other part, but I'm looking at trouble as I want to see things from God's perspective. And everything that comes in my life is there to make me look more like Christ. And if part of it's a spanking, part of it's a spanking. But in this, they were looked at because they didn't have kids. Man, what were you doing? Can you imagine being righteous for 80 years or however long they were, you know, for, for 70 years? They're righteous. They're doing good. And every time they walk by, people are like, oh, those are those guys with those, the old people with no kids. <laughs> those are the old people. with no. Those, can you imagine what they did that God wouldn't give them kids? <laughs> I mean, they were talked about. You ever been? You know what I'm talking about, right? You ever been that person? Ostracized, but nobody, you know, you've been looked down on by other people. But guess what? Did that stop them from living righteous? No, no matter what was going on, these folks said, you know what? I'm living for an audience of one, and that audience of one is who? God. It's God. Yeah, it's nice to be liked. How many of y'all love to be hated? Anybody here love to be hated? You say, that is my goal. I want everybody to hate me. Really? That's you? Oh, you're just got to be good. They're like, dude, we need to come here in. You need to come up. But we don't want to be hated. We don't like to be ostracized. We, don't, we want to be liked. So can you imagine how hard it was for them, man? They just plowed along with God, and they lived for God. And that, I want to encourage you, man. I don't know where you're at today, but man, maybe things aren't going the way you want them to go. Maybe things aren't happening like you think they should happen. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what's, how, what, what's going to be added to you? Everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Yeah, so what's not added to you? Yeah, everything you need will be added on you. It'll be given to you if you need it, you know? But your job is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what they kept doing, man. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments, the ordinances before the Lord, blameless. But they, but they had no child 
because she was barren, I don't really get why they put that in twice. I'm thinking, she's barren, no child. Okay, same thing, but they were kind of emphasizing it. And they were both well advanced in years. <coughs> so, it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We don't know for sure, but there were a lot of priests. And, and uh, <clears throat> to be able to be this guy, to burn the incense, to be able to go in and do this and get this close to God at this point in time, this was something that didn't happen every day. So it wasn't like he was just doing this. He did it last week, did it. He probably had never gotten the opportunity to do it, so it was a special day for him. He got to finally go in and burn incense as an older man. That might have relieved the stigma. People say, see, God doesn't even like him, man. He didn't even let him go burn incense. We never picked his lot before. So when his lot picked, he's like, yes, I'm a winner. <laughs> Everybody go do this, man. Winner, because world says this, right? You're a loser, but God says you're a winner. And sometimes we need some validation, don't we? <laughs> man, how many of y'all ever love it when God gives you validation? You know what I'm saying? Okay, the rest of the world sees me the way you see me. Or even a moment, you know, maybe. But if you live for that audience of one, we need that validation less. But that incense, he got picked, man. So he's got that validation that, all right, this is going to be a good day. I'm going to go burn me some incense and go worship me some God. And think about this. How often do we take that for granted? Where was he going? He was going into the presence of God, man. You know, and, and how often can we go in the presence of God, Tom? Every day, every moment, you know, Amy gets an hour, you get an hour, you know, no, dude, we can even do it at the same time, and God doesn't get freaked out like us, right? I'm just saying, man, we, something that was so unique now is, is, is available to us all the time. And so he went into the temple, and verse 10, look at this, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and incense was, was smoke going up to God to make a sweet savor, a sweet smell to him. It represents prayers. Everybody's praying and worshiping God, and he goes in. <coughs> then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, I want you to understand how special this is, because the Old Testament ends with Malachi. Right? Or if you're Italian, it's Malachi. All right? And uh, the Old Testament ends right there with Malachi uh, slash Malachi or whatever it is. And, and basically what we see at the end of Malachi, uh, it, uh, other than why Israel got in trouble, we see that, that basically God says, the next time you hear from me, I'm going to be sending a Savior. Next time you hear from me, there's going to be a guy that comes, and he's going to proclaim that the Savior's here. He's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah, meaning he ain't afraid of nobody. He ain't afraid of no religious system. He's going to speak up. He's coming. And so that's what you're going to see when I show up. Does anybody know how many years it was from Malachi to Matthew? 400 years. Dude, they haven't seen angels. They haven't heard from God. There's been no new revelation. The Jews with, are, are trying to identify with themselves after they've been destroyed, you know, and, and all this stuff's going on. 400 years of no revelation, and all of a sudden you see an angel. You ever turn and, oh, somebody's there, right? Can you imagine after no revelation for 400 years? Hey, what do people say whenever they see an angel? Help me out. One, two, three. That's it. And then what do they do? They fall over. It was like, oh, holy angel, yes. No, they're scared. This is real supernatural right here. And you watch it even in this story. Every time they see an angel, they say, what? Ah! That's it. All right, so look what happened. Let's see if it holds true. Oh, by the way, what's the first thing the angel says? Hey, what's the angel always say? Yeah, a little late, pal. <laughs> All right, so then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar and says, when Zachariah saw him, he was... Troubled, he went, ah, and fear fell upon him. Man, and even if we saw an angel every day, I think we would still be troubled and fear would fall upon us. It's supernatural. Man, it's, uh, it's the most glory we could take in of what, of God in this earthly form, you know? One day, think about this, we're going to have supernatural bodies and it's going to be more than just losing this Santa Clausness right now that winter has brought me. But it's going to be more than that. The supernatural body, the coolest thing about all of that is going to be that I can experience God in all his glory. 
which right now I couldn't even experience an angel. <laughs> I'd go, ha. Ah. So here it was. Man, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, what did they say? Do not be afraid. Yeah, do not be afraid, Zacharias. And Zacharias is like pulling himself back up. Okay. And, and look at this. This is interesting. Your prayer is heard. Did we know Zachariah was praying? I mean, I'm thinking he's the priest walking in praying, God, accept my offering. God, don't strike me dead. God. But he must have been praying about some other things because God said, look at this. Your prayer is answered. And immediately he says, what? And your wife, Elizabeth, will? And you'll call his name John. So, man, do you think this old couple in their late 80s, early 90s were maybe still praying for a child? They were still praying who would give them such a ludicrous prayer request in your 80s and 90s to keep praying for a child? Who would give you such a crazy request, Carol? Not that you're praying for that, but I'm just saying. Who, if you got that desire, who would be one to give you that desire if you got it? And how many of you have something crazy God has got on your heart that you're praying for right now? Go ahead, put your hand up. You have to tell me what it is. I'm not going to ask you. All right, cool. That's awesome. Those crazy requests come from God. Don't get ticked off if he doesn't answer it the way you want, though. I'm just telling you that. Because they have been praying, and they have been praying, and they have been praying, and they have been praying. And look what the angel said. Man, look, man. He said, You're, he said we have heard your prayers, and God has heard your prayers, and you will bear a son and call his name John, which means gift of God. And he's the forerunner to Christ. He's the one that goes out and says, the Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who flattened the path and made the road straight to the kingdom of heaven, uh, to the Messiah. And by the way, what was his number one? If you had to tell me one word that represented his message, what would it be? It's that art. I'll give you a hint. It's... Repent. Repent, like we've been talking about in the book of Acts. It's where you realize you're going the wrong way, and you agree with God, and you say, I want to start heading towards you, God. And God, hey, Terry's not here to be God, but Tom, when you turn and you look at God down there at the end of the path, if you were God, what would God be doing? He'd be there with his arms wide. That's it. That's it right there. He's not, nope, I've seen you before. Nope, you, you've become one too many times. You just won't listen. No. Every time you turn, how's God acting again, Tom? Receiving you with He's receiving you, man. And you got to repent. And as we learned last week, you return. And the closer you come to God, the more refreshed your life is. That was out of Acts chapter 3, I believe, last week. So in, anyways, in here. His son, John, is going to tell the religious people, repent. Your religion you've been doing for 400-something years is wrong. How many of y'all love it when somebody comes to you and tells you what you're doing is wrong? Oh, <laughs> uh, Especially as we get older, do you love it when they're like, hey, everything you do is wrong. <laughs> We're going to change it now. Man, repentance is a hard thing sometimes unless we have the ability to believe what God says, man. And here's what, so here it is. He says in verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Because they know if he's there, the Messiah is coming. And they've been waiting for the Messiah. How long have they been waiting for the Messiah? Yeah, for a lifetime, for thousands of years. Give me an event that they have been waiting for the Messiah since. Mac, what's the event where they were waiting for, where they first were promised the Messiah? I got you on the spot, bro. How about, how about, how about in the garden? <laughs> in the garden, guys, when Adam and Eve, they sinned, and, and part of it, God said, man, I'm going to send, and Eve, you're going to have a kid, and his heel's going to crush, crush Satan's head, the serpent's head, and only bruise his heel. They've been waiting for a Messiah since then. You even remember, they, uh, when they sinned, and they realized they sinned, what was the first thing they did? They covered themselves with some like leaves, homemade covering to cover their sin. And God said, no, that will not work. That is not going to work. And he killed an innocent animal and spilled its blood. And he made them a covering. Not that that was going to cover their sin, but it was going to be a picture of what this Messiah would do. Man, Adam and Eve, before they had their first kid, they were thinking that the first kid was probably going to be the one that was going to get them back in the garden. You know, and, and they named, what was the first kid's name? Cain, right? And, and, and it was like, yes, I've acquired a kid. He's getting us back in the garden. That's the one. And 
then they saw it didn't happen. And so when she got pregnant again and had to go through, you know, all whatever again, and she had that baby, what did she name this baby? Do you know what the transliteration of the name Abel means in Hebrew? Worthless. Now, if you're named Abel, I don't want you to, that, that's not it, but because we come up with new names, new meanings for names, but literally, she had her first baby and said, oh, I got it from the Lord. He's going to get us back in the garden. Instead of getting us back in the garden, he took us farther away. She had the next baby and said, what the heck is this? <laughs> this isn't because their whole, they've been looking so forward to being back in the garden. And that's what this was. That's why it was going to bring joy to people because, man, it, the Messiah was going to come and usher in the kingdom. But they didn't fully understand all of that. So look what it goes. Verse 15. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink. Neither uh, uh, wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with Kathy. With what? He'll be filled with the uh, Holy Spirit. I know. I saw you. I was just kind of. I saw you like. I, I had my peripheral vision. I saw you not paying attention, so I was like calling you. All right, there we go. Holy Spirit. All right, Holy Spirit. Yeah, do that when you see me not. If you ever see me not seeing, call me out. All right. But it'll never happen. No, I'm just messing with you. Uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. What's so significant about that? Who? How long has it been since anybody's experienced the Holy Spirit? At least how many years? 400. At least 400 years. And in the Old Testament, prior to Pentecost, people only had the Holy Spirit in little fillings. Like, hey, dude, I want you to, uh, you're a donkey, I want you to talk. <laughs> or, hey, you, I want you to go blow some horns and break some jars and, take, uh, and make walls fall. I'm, I'm just saying that whenever there was something supernatural needing to be done, God would take somebody and put the Holy Spirit on them, and they would do the job, and the Holy Spirit would be gone. Man, it was a temporary filling for a particular job, and now, as believers, how, how, where's the Holy Spirit right now? He's in us, and how long is he in us for? Forever. So if in the Old Testament, God only gave the Holy Spirit when there were important jobs to be done, what does that say for our lives that we have the Holy Spirit all the time? How often do we have important jobs to be done, Bree? All the time. All the time. Man, all the time there's opportunities and we need that power. We can't do it in our flesh. And so in this, man, this kid was going to be born with the Holy Spirit in him. And did you notice the little thing in the beginning of verse 15? He's not going to drink wine or strong drink. Uh, we know from other parts of scripture that he take, took on the vow of a Nazarite. And most people in the Old Testament, it's in the book of Numbers, you can look it up. But most people who took on this vow took it on for a temporary period of time. But John the Baptist had it for a lifetime. And this is what the vow of a Nazarite was. It said, here, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to sacrifice for the job that God has for me. For this time period where I want to so totally focus on what God wants me to do. I'm going to sacrifice my appetite. I'm not going to take partake in any, in any fruity drinks, any wine. I'm not going to no strong drink. I'm not going to... Any, any, I'm going to sacrifice my appetite and not let my appetite get in the way of serving the Lord. And John the Baptist, what do he look like, guys? Kind of wild. Yeah, kind of wild, man. He had wild hair and, you know, kind of like Eden right now. You worked on that hairdo all night long, didn't you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, wild hair. He had, he had uh, you know, goat skins. Well, part of the vow of the Nazarite was you were going to sacrifice your appearance. You weren't going to let your appearance get in the way of you serving and worshiping God. And, and then they were also took the vow to say, I'm not going to touch any dead body or any unclean thing. So during this period, if the person you love more than anything in the world died, you either had to break your covenant with God, your vow with God, and go touch them, or you kept it and sacrificed even your affections. So John the Baptist, from birth, he was given this vow of a Nazarite to sacrifice his appetite, his appearance, and his affections. Have any of y'all ever let your appetite get between you and God? How about your affections get between you and God? How about your appearance between you and God? Man, that's God. there was nothing getting in the way of him being with God. And that's the vow of the Nazareth. If you want to look it up later, you can Google it. It'll tell you the right scripture and everything and send you there. But it says he was whole, filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. I told you before, Elijah did not have a popular ministry. Elijah went to people that hated God. 
And Elijah told them, this is God. I'm speaking for God. I'm speaking for God. Elijah got whooped, but he was faithful for God. And so he says, this guy's not going to be afraid to tell even Pharisees who run every system there is to run. He's not going to be afraid to tell them that the Messiah is here and they've been doing it wrong. He says, the purpose is to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children, disobedient to the, uh, uh, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's the bottom line. His job is to get everybody ready for the Lord that's coming. Because they weren't. And Zechariah said to the angel, okay, check this out, man. Who just told him all this stuff? Hey, Aaron, who just told him? An angel. An angel was speaking on whose behalf? On God's behalf. So this was coming straight from the throne. Zachariah, your wife's pregnant. This is what's going to happen. This is awesome. All right, so would you believe it? No, even though it's coming from God? <laughs> You're looking. All right, well, most of us probably wouldn't either. Zacharias didn't. He said, he said to the angel, how shall I know this is true? For I'm an old man, and my wife's well advanced in years. And they didn't have Viagra. One person in small group let us know. Which, that person will be remain anonymous in here today. But it was actually all of us thinking about it. That's what he's saying, dude, we're old. And my wife's old. How's this going to happen? And the angel is like, you got to be kidding me. We have not talked to you in 400 years. We come specially to tell you something, and you're going to question it? You know, Ethan, next one. And look what happened. So the angel answered and said, I have you know I am Gabriel. And by the way, anytime you see Gabriel in the Bible, he's giving a message. That's He's the messenger. Michael's the archangel always fighting. And Lucifer, the only other uh, angel we know the name of, you know what he did. He left God and, and rebelled against him. But Gabriel's always a message. He said, I have you know I am Gabriel. I speak on God's behalf. I stand in the very presence of God. I was sent to speak to you who hadn't heard anything for 400 years and bring you this good news. But, <laughs> uh, don't you like the big butts in the Bible, y'all? <laughs> He's like, man, I came with, but, he says, behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. You imagine having the best news ever and not being able to share it? Can you imagine? Now, some of you are quiet. That's not that big a deal for you. But can you imagine me having the best news and not being able to share it? Can you imagine me getting a job as a librarian tomorrow? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, my goodness. He can't do it. But look what happens. It's because he didn't have faith. Let me ask you a question. In the Old Testament and New Testament, what is the only thing God praises people for? Their faith. That's the only thing you will ever see God praise. He'll be like, oh, Carol, I love your hair. Oh, no, I made that. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, oh, I love your eyes. Oh, I made this. You know, oh, I love, you know, all these things. But faith. He praises people for faith in the Old and New Testament. It's because that's something that we have a choice about. And if you don't use it, you lose it. If you use it, you get more. And faith is when we choose to do things his way. And it's the only way we can show him we love him. You know that? The only way we can show them that him that we love him is by doing what he's asked us to do. It's faith. And we don't even know how it's going to happen. He's thinking, dude, I'm 90 and my wife's 90 and we're going to have a baby. And, I mean, think about it. It's like, dude, I don't know how this is going to happen. But evidently they've been praying for it. And um, so he says, guess what? You're not going to be able to say anything until it's all fulfilled. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. They perceived that he had seen a vision, good perception, <laughs> in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So indeed, what did happen, I want you to know it wasn't like Mary's deal where the Holy Spirit came and impregnated. Zechariah got his wife Elizabeth in their 90s pregnant. You want to talk about him? Is that not a miracle? Yes. That is a huge, and again, I'll just throw it out. Without Viagra, without artificial insemination, without cloning, without modern science, it was something that happened. It happened naturally, but in a supernatural way. And God made that go down. So think about how big that is. Can you imagine? Anybody have like, 
You know, a, a, a 90-year-old, I mean, Eden, there's your mom, Marianne. What if she came to you and said, hey, I'm pregnant, Eden? Mission control, we got a problem. What I'm saying is, it's just there's things that aren't naturally, physically possible. I want you to see what a big miracle it is. That's two people in their 90s got pregnant. It was huge. And that's important because we're going to see another miracle happen right now. It says, now in the sixth month. This is the sixth month of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. She's pregnant six months. She's made it past the first trimester. That's crucial. She's there six months, man. There ain't no turning back, dude. It's happening, all right? And so six months, the angel Gabriel, oh, must have another announcement to make. <laughs> the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And now I want you to understand, Nazareth's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth is like... It's like a little subdivision that wasn't very big. If you were going to pick the mother of Messiah of the religious world, you would probably go to some religious capital. But God went to some little podunk place in the middle of nowhere. And that gives us hope. Because if they have access, we have access. Just like when he, the shepherds are the first ones to hear from him. The shepherds were the first ones to see him. If the shepherds had access, then everybody has access. For me, growing up on the west side of Orlando in Pine Hills, that is affectionately referred to as Crime Hills, and being part of what made Pine Hills Crime Hills growing up, I am so grateful that the Messiah is available to the lowest of the low, because that's me. I grew up in a My Name is Earl neighborhood. I was Earl. And if you don't know, don't watch the... Don't. But if you know what I'm talking about, I'm saying I'm just so grateful that God gives access to everyone. And that's why he went to Nazareth. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to be a man, uh, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, this is kind of crucial here. She was a virgin, okay? So that meant she has never been with a man. And she's fixing to be pregnant. You want to talk about a miracle? You think Zachariah and Elizabeth without Viagra is pretty impressive? Wait till you see a, a, a pregnant virgin. You know what? Dude, check this out. There are no jumbo shrimp and there are no pregnant virgins. It's an oxymoron. You get it? I mean, what I'm saying is it's just that doesn't happen. And so here it is. He comes to a virgin. And some have tried to discredit the virgin birth. And Isaiah is, is prophesied, say, oh, it means a little girl. means a You know what? If there is no virgin birth, you have no hope. There is no resurrection. Here's what's got to happen. If, if Mary and Joseph would have had this baby, Jesus would have come in this world with a sin nature. And he would have had to pay for his own sins. He could not have paid for ours. If Jesus would not have had God the Father as his father, he could not be 100% God. And if Mary wasn't his mother, he couldn't be 100% human and so by being God 100% God when he died one of the advantages of being 100% God when he died milk when you die and you're buried in that it, it, down in the ground or cremated whatever city wants to do you know and all that because you don't have a say man I don't care what you will said but when when you're buried what are you gonna do what can you do you, dude, all you can do is feed the worms, bro, <laughs> or whatever gets in. But you can't do anything. But what if you're 100% God when your human body dies? What can you do? There's only been one person to do it. And what did he do on the third day? He rose. Who rose him? It says he rose. Him. He rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. He's 100% God, 100% man. Here's the statement I want you to make. If there is no virgin birth, then he is not 100% God. And if he's not 100% God, there is no resurrection. And Paul said, if there is no resurrection, you have no hope. You might as well all quit coming to church, quit reading your Bible. Let's go party and let's do, remember, go for the gusto. Remember, you all old enough to remember that commercial? Go for the gusto and live for today because there is no tomorrow if there's no resurrection. There has to be a virgin birth because it has to be 100% God so that there can be a resurrection so that we can have hope. That when we die, he will raise us up from the dead. So God went to a virgin whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Fortunately, fortunately, God is calling us right now. Let's. <laughs> All right. So, so fortunately, both Joseph and Mary, their lineage goes up to heaven. 
I mean, there goes up to heaven. Their lineage goes to David, which is to the throne, which makes him legal to be the king. Here's the way that works. Susie brought it up Monday night and um, in doing research because I didn't quite know. But basically, if you had a you had a Somali dad and a Jewish mom, what were what were you considered nationality wise? A Jew. You got your Jewishness, your heritage. You got your your heritage from your mom, but. Even if Joseph wasn't his physical dad, he was his legal dad, and he had his lineage, his right to the throne, to David from his, from his dad. You got your legal right from your, from your dad. You got your heritage right from your mom. And so isn't it cool how God works all this out? And so here it is, man. He's got all the bases covered. Verse 28, having come in, the angel said to her, Okay, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. In other words, I got some great news, Mary. This is going to be awesome. You are the one that we that that man that that got chosen to bring in the Messiah. Let me see the next verse. But so here it is. The angel speaking to her again. Had she even known about the whole Elizabeth Zachariah thing yet? Not really. So in four, nobody's heard from God in 400 years, and she gets to hear. And look what it says, we're trying. But when she saw him, she was troubled. And so what did everybody say when they saw an angel? Ah. Yeah, that's what troubled means, okay? Ah. And she and, and she was troubled at this saying, and she considered what manner of greeting this was. Why is an angel coming to me? And by the way, let me ask you a question. How old was, was Mary? Yeah, yeah uh, and in reality, yeah, probably 12 or 13. At the most, 14. That was an old maid, all right? 14 at that time. So she was probably 12 or 13. And listen to this. When they were engaged in a contract that her parents made with their parents, she had one job. This girl had one job during this year of engagement or betrothment. What she did, she had one year. And you know what her only job was? To prove that she could stay faithful and pure and not get in an adulterous relationship. Her job was to stay pure and not have sex with anybody, not get another relationship with anybody for a whole year. That was her job, to prove that she could be loyal and faithful to her husband. Wow, angels fixing to blow that one, huh? <laughs> and that was her old, you had one job, Mary. <laughs> That's what Joseph could have been saying. But so in this, she was about 12 years old. And so look at this. Then the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Do you think she was hearing all that? What was Mary at 12 years old hearing who had one job to stay pure? What was she hearing? I am pregnant. <laughs> and let me ask you a question. What was the penalty for pregnancy? Yeah, dude. The, pregnancy, the penalty for pregnancy, they were throwing you in a pit and they were going to dump rocks on your head. And it was going to be a painful, slow death so no one else would do what you did. You're going to make an example of you. So she's sitting in her mind, how is this good news? I'm 12, I'm engaged, everything was worked out. I had my plans, God. And, and God now seems to be changing everything. There's not a question, even if she knows it's from God, she's like, how's this, how am I gonna explain this? How's this gonna happen? And death, and even if he puts me away privily, <laughs> I don't even know what privily means, if he puts me away nicely, I, I'm reduced to either being a prostitute or a beggar the rest of my life. No one's going to want to marry me. They're thinking I'm, I'm full of adultery. I can't be trusted. She's got all this going on in her mind in here. But he does say, man, you're going to conceive the Messiah. His name will be called Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Everything's qualifying him to be the Messiah. Verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. Forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. No end. It's going to be forever. There's no question that this is about the Messiah. So Mary, verse 34, said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? I have never heard of jumbo shrimp, and I have never heard of a pregnant virgin. <laughs> this is pretty crazy. I don't know how this is going to happen. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever asked you to do something, and you don't know how it's going to happen? Yeah. Isn't that the best? Because you already know how it's going to happen. Sometimes it's not even God's idea. It's yours. But if you get this thing, God, that you know God won't let you go on, and God, you know God wants you to do it, but you don't know all the details. You don't know how it's going to work out. What's it going to take to get there? And what's faith? And what's the only thing God praises humans for? Faith. And what does Hebrews say? It says it is without what? 
Faith, it is impossible to please God. So when God gives you this situation that you don't, you know is of him, but you don't know how to get there, he's given you an opportunity to please him. And he's going to give you the faith to be able to please him. He's going to give you everything you need to please him. It's a win-win. But in our mind, when we look at the earthly outlook, we're freaking, aren't we? We're concerned. We're trying to manufacture it. We're trying to put it together. We're trying to make sense of it, even for the next few steps, instead of just take the next step God says and wait. And then the next step, you know, if you enjoy the journey and you just take the next step and the next step, you're going to end up where God wants you. But what we do so often is because the people around us aren't satisfied with that and we're not satisfied with it, we have to pick a destination and we run to it and then we get there and say, now what, God? And so often we miss it. We miss what he had for us. And so in this, she's like, man, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't know how jumbo shrimp happen, and I don't know how virgins get pregnant. <laughs> All right? And stay virgins. I don't know how that works. Next verse, Ethan. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Now, as he gives her this explanation, do you think she's like writing this down in a little report notebook and saying, Okay, oh, yes, makes perfect sense to me now. I see the flow chart. Yes, here it is. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you think she really understood all of that? She, hey, I got a question. What does it mean to be overshadowed? What does that feel like? Is that, how long is that going to take? What's going to... You know, when is this going down so I can maybe kind of not be around my parents? And I mean, what are, we, what are we talking about here? She didn't know any of that. And that's perhaps where you're at. You know, God's got something in mind for you, but you don't know the rest. So you're afraid to take the first step. Just take the next step. If it's from him, he's not going to leave you hanging. It might not happen in your time, but that's a good thing. It may happen in his. Just take the next step. Because that's what Mary's fixing to do. But first, she gets some news that she didn't have. And this news is supposed to encourage her the same way it should encourage us. She said, oh, she goes on to say, um, what do we call son? Uh, now, indeed, verse 36, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. <laughs> this 12-year-old girl's going, what? <laughs> Everything about this world's going mess up. My, what, my old relatives got pregnant and now me getting pregnant? What is going on here? But it's supposed to be an encouragement that God can do anything. Your relative has conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for who who was called barren. Now look at this verse, and you have seen this verse. You probably have it crocheted on a wall hanging. You have a pillow in your room with it on it. You have a coffee cup, I know I do, and you know, with this saying on it. But we don't know the context of it, and that's what I want to bring to you this morning. We're almost done. Two more verses, I promise. Look at this. Verse 37, it says, For with God nothing is impossible. Will you read that with me one more time? For with God nothing is so with God, what's impossible? Nothing. Nothing, as long as that's what he wants to do. He's in charge. He gets called shots. He is Lord. His plan is going forth whether you participate or not. It's going to all happen. And with God, whatever he's ordained is going to happen, it is going to happen, period. With God, not a thing. Nothing will be impossible from an old man, an old woman getting pregnant without Viagra to a 12-year-old getting pregnant without a man. Now, let me ask you a question. The impossible situations that you are facing in life, the situations you're waiting and trusting in God to take care of, the things that are requiring faith, do they fit somewhere between an old woman and an old man getting pregnant without Viagra and a 12-year-old getting pregnant without a man? Do they fit somewhere in between those parentheses? Yeah. You bet they do. And that's the encouragement for me. Man, you know what? If God can do this with Elizabeth and Zechariah and do this with Mary and the Holy Spirit, he can certainly handle anything in between that I got going on. And he says, for with God, nothing's impossible. One more verse. Look how Mary responded. If you can tuck your situation in between those two situations, and you really believe God that nothing is impossible, 
then at some point you'll be able to answer like Mary, and I will too. Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, <laughs> the slave of the Lord, the one who doesn't get to call the shots, the one that's just going to do whatever's asked of her, even if it means getting stoned and sent to death. But I can't think that's what, you know, the one that doesn't know what's going on, I'm just the slave. You tell me what next step to take. Let it be to me according to your word. <laughs> Whatever you want, you want. Because let me ask you a question. What's the worst that can happen to us? We die. We die. As a believer, when we die, where do we go? Yeah, dude. It's heaven better than this place. Yeah. By far. In fact, when you get to heaven, you're probably going to say, why didn't I come here sooner? And he says, because you love this life so much. Man. She said, let it be unto me according to your word. I have no idea what that means other than the fact that someday you're going to make jumbo shrimp and you're going to make a pregnant virgin and I'm going to be it. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, it's interesting. In a small group on Tuesday night, my wife brought up a good point. Everybody's talking about their insight. And we're saying, hey, what stuck out to you? What stuck out to you? And my wife, it was this part that stuck out to her. She said, can you imagine getting this instruction, all of this, and as long as the angel's there, everything's cool, but where did the angel go? And can you imagine sitting there all on your own now? <laughs> you're sitting there, and you've got this insurmountable thing, and you're like, what's next? <laughs> what's next? <laughs> you're not here to hold my hand and walk me through. What's next? <laughs> and that's probably how Mary felt at that point. What did I just sign up for? <laughs> you ever do that at Potluck? No, I'm just saying, what did I, what did I just sign up for? What, what's next? Well, God will never leave you or forsake you. And you know what? You can trust that God will show you what is next. You can trust that because that's what he's going to do with Mary. And it also, we're not going to go any further in this chapter, but if you want to read it later, go home and read it. But she goes and visits Elizabeth. Because I think for the next three months she visits Elizabeth. That's kind of where she starts showing and figuring out what are we going to do about this? What's next, God? And it's kind of cool. That's a story where the two babies are filled. The, the baby leaps in the womb. And you just got to read that on your own. But the point I believe God wanted to make for us today is this. That God can help and make happen two really, really old people get pregnant. You know without Viagra and a 12 year old girl without a man between those two parentheses everything we're dealing with fits and if that's not impossible for him then nothing's impossible he's calling us to do guys and just because you don't have it figured out just because you don't know what's going to happen six months six days six hours six minutes from now you can know that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be given to you. You just take the next step. Just take the next step, even if the next step is like Mary right there waiting <laughs> for the next thing to happen. Do it. But you can trust him. Answer the way Mary did and say, I'm your servant, man. I'm your slave. And whatever you want, that's it. Because, man, I'm only here a short period of time. And when I leave this place, I'm going to be in eternity forever. All expense paid vacation to eternity, worshiping God forever and ever and ever. The sufferings of this life will mean nothing. They won't even register compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us later, we're told in the book of Romans. Just serve him in this life. It's awesome. Let's pray. Father, I'm so awed by the fact that we have a, a way to please you. And that is through faith. And I'm so awed to know that every day you give each of us situations that require faith. I'm not so awed to know that so often we take those matters in our own hands and we just want to kind of get them handled and we want to pass them by and we want to just get them done with so we can keep moving on because faith gets messy. But Father, help us not to do that. Help us to take the situations, everything that comes in our life requires faith. Help us to take every situation and see it from your perspective. Help us to move when you tell us to move. Stand still when you tell us to stand still. Help us to just be in constant fellowship with you, seeing every moment of life from your perspective. 
Because, Father, as we do that, our faith is increased, and we're going to encounter people who have no faith. And you did that on purpose, too, so that we could show them what faith looks like. And we could encourage them by being witnesses and telling them what you've done in our life. So, Father, I pray that we would view everything that way. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here right now that's never surrendered themselves to you, somebody that's here that doesn't know they're going to heaven when they die because Jesus paid the price for that, I pray that you'd give them a desire that they can't refuse to surrender their lives to you. They may in their head be saying, what's next, what's next? How do I do this? How do I do that? Man, Father, take away all of those questions and just give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender it all to you. Because I know, Father, just like you did on Christmas 87, um, man, you just started answering a lot of those questions. And although I don't even come close to knowing everything i got to know now, I know what I need to know. And that's to just take the next step with you. So, Father, whether it's for salvation or just continuing to get closer to you, help us to just take the next step. Like Zachariah and Elizabeth and like Mary. And um, thank you for giving us this example and letting us know that nothing is impossible with you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.